Okay. What did you eat for breakfast on Sunday? I had three eggs, toast, and the best blood sausage I've ever had in my life. You are listening to the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Business. Business. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Print Company, located in Fort Worth, Texas. You may remember I talked to Justin back in episode 5 about the merch industry and his passion for music and working with bands and artists. Do you need help with your merch? Skinny Armadillo specializes in quality apparel decoration, including screen printing, embroidery, design, digital on-demand printing, web stores, fulfillment, and more. Contact Skinny Armadillo now to find out how you can grow your merch sales, discover the current printing technologies, or to get a quote. Call 817-546-1430 or visit theskinnyarmadillo.com. That's 817-546-1430 or visit theskinnyarmadillo.com. I have some great news for listeners of the podcast. If you're a band or an artist that needs some merch printed, or a business that needs promotional apparel or other items, in the month of January 2020, call Skinny Armadillo and mention the Music on Your Own Terms podcast and get 10% off your first order. Make sure you stay up to date with the podcast by signing up to the mailing list at musiconyourownterms.com. There you will find show notes to every episode and links to other resources. Welcome to episode 34 of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Right before the holiday, I talked to Joe Leach, owner of Rift City Guitars, a Minnesota-based guitar store that was the first U.S. retailer to bring the Chapman Guitars brand to America, and unfortunately has recently closed its doors. We discuss Joe's background in both sales and music, his journey in entrepreneurship, and different businesses he's been a part of, and we also look at the retail industry at large. We talk about how important it is to figure out your why, and I'm extremely grateful to Joe for sharing with us his struggle with depression, anxiety, and addiction, and his insight into how he's managed to overcome some things and live with others. Music is courtesy of the band Unturned, featuring Joe's son Will on guitar. So check it out. Welcome to another episode of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by Joe Leach, um, owner of uh, Rift City Guitars, uh, which unfortunately is is no longer going to uh, exist pretty soon, which is unfortunate. But thank you for taking the time uh, to talk to me this morning. I'm happy really to appreciate be here. It. Yes, I'm happy to be here. So we, we met a um, couple of times um, 
you brought Chapman guitars around the country and we met in Boston and then I was visiting family in Minnesota and I actually stopped by the store a number of years ago and we uh, had a nice conversation there. That, those were the experiences that I cherished the most about having the, the music store was when we would meet somebody um, in other places mm. and uh, I would be in the store and somebody like yourself would show up and say, do you remember that we met in Boston or Atlanta or... Right. Uh, those those are, are very, very fond memories for me. Yeah, awesome. So um, why don't we uh, give a, a background to your, um, you know, wh where you grew up and, um, you know, background to your business? Mm -hmm. So I grew up just 30 miles from where we have the, the businesses, as we call them, mm -hmm. uh, and where I live, uh, which is right in the heart of of Minnesota, right? Kind of smack dab in the middle. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, my, my background was always in sales. I got into the printing business, uh, when I was okay. very, very young, uh, had Maybe a great me as well. Oh, no kidding. Yep. And just out of curiosity, what, what the commercial um, web printing, sheet so, printing? Yeah. Originally I was, uh, working for a, a litho, uh, a small litho shop just doing you know magazines and stuff like that um and i was i was doing the uh the four color you know four color film layouts before they had uh you know the digital digital rips with the with everything and i'd i'd, I'd uh develop all the plates you were a stripper no you were a plater you weren't a stripper no i was not a stripper <laughs> no one wants to see that <laughs> Yes, uh, planner plate maker was my official title. Interesting. And then, um, yeah, eighteen years in the uh, automotive industry, and we did uh, um, gravier printing. Oh no, kidding! And then um, now I'm a t-shirt printer. So, so graphic arts is my, you know, background uh, commercially. But yeah, I'm, I'm working. I'm actually working with bands and doing merch, and yeah, I'm loving it. That is great. And just so the listeners know, we, we had no, we had never talked about that before. No, absolutely not. <laughs> All those great connections. So, yeah. Sorry, sorry for cutting in, but yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, so uh, I worked for a pretty large commercial printer here and uh, somewhere along the way, there was just this kind of a, how oh, maybe a dissatisfaction with working for somebody. Uh, and even remember a point in time in which somebody said in some way, shape or form, you know, you work for me or someone else said you, he works for my husband or something like that. And I remember that right. just sent shockwaves through mm -hmm. me. I, I thought it doesn't, it wasn't pleasant to hear. Uh, and, uh, so it started this kind of ball rolling in my my head i guess or at least this set of thoughts and then uh it was only a few years later and i, I just I, I really got frustrated with the uh experience of working for somebody and uh, decided to go out on my own and uh, started uh there was a niche that the printing company i worked for uh was not interested in yet the customers we're asking for it, but just mm -hmm. equipment set and everything. Sure. So I started a business to take care of that market. It was a very small 
niche, very personalized uh, market. And so that was my first business back in 2000 is, and I still, that's still my, my you know, our bread and butter, I guess is best way okay. to uh, call it. So I have a printing uh, and mailing agency. We do very, again, we stick with niche or niche markets uh, because I don't like to sell. I don't like to sell a customer every time there's a new job. That was right. the one thing that was very frustrating uh, in the commercial printing world is that you, you would sell the job. And the next time it came around, it was like, I need a bid for this again. And uh, everybody would be trying to steal it from you. And mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so we went into areas where we had some intellectual knowledge about things uh, where we could really help more than just put ink on paper, so to speak. So right. that's my main, that's my main business. And then in a very yeah. strange turn of events uh, in about 2008, somebody approached me uh, about being part of another business. Uh, and that was a fishing tackle company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't fish. I'm not very good at fishing. I don't have any patience uh, <laughs> for it, but I was going to handle the business side of that business. And there was four partners. And after one year, it ended up like almost all four uh, member partnerships ended up uh, on the skids uh, mm -hmm. with everybody pointing fingers at each other. Uh, saying you were supposed to do this and you were supposed to do that. So in the process of actually selling off my portion of the inventory, which is how we were going to end it. It's like, we just split the inventory up and you go yeah. do what you're going to do. And I'll do what I'm going to do. Uh, I, in the process of getting rid of my inventory, I realized I can do all of this myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we started uh, our fishing tackle company, which is an online company called overstockbait.com. And okay. what, what we do in most cases is we go and buy overstock and discontinued uh, product from the major manufacturers and then turn around and sell it very inexpensively. So in that case, we're kind of the, the price leader, but we don't have everything. That's changing now um, as everything in the retail market is just changing at breakneck speed. Of course. Uh, we've got more competitors in that space than we didn't have before. And so we're actually shifting over to more of the uh, average everyday. Uh, the phrase that we use is called inline, meaning mm -hmm. this is the new current product. So right. we're set, we're starting to move more and more in that direction. Okay. And then obviously the Rift City uh, thing, I thought, uh, <laughs> I thought, well, I've got this phishing thing down and I know how to use the internet. I know how to, I know SEO and I know all those things. And I love, you know, guitars and basses okay. and pedals and all that stuff. I thought, why not start a music store uh, and utilize those uh, skills? And I tell people, uh, I thought I was being pretty reasonable mm -hmm. when I said to myself, now, Joe, be careful not to assume that the guitar business is going to be exactly like the fishing business. You have to be wise and uh, understand that, you know, not everything's going to translate. But what I didn't sure. know, Simon, is that nothing translated, wow. not a thing. The only thing the fishing tackle company and the music, the websites had in common is that you viewed them on a computer from that okay. point on there was, I can truly say it, just about nothing in common between the two. 
So all of the synergies that I was hoping for, uh, all of the knowledge that we had gained, it was really like starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. There was certainly business efficiencies. We could use the same accounting department. Okay. Uh, we could use uh, the same marketing folks, uh, graphic at least. Um, we have a you know fantastic graphics uh, person in our organization who's just really great at moving from one you know product to the other and and doing a great job. So we're blessed mm -hmm. as far as that goes. But from there. It was so different. I can't even, I can't even des describe. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of work. And the, um, the beauty of the fishing tackle business, particularly in the closeout stuff, is that there's just so much more margin to work with. Okay. There's actually less competitors, uh, even though the number of buyers is exponentially higher you know fish people who fish versus people who pay, play guitar it's just a massive i mean way more people fish wow than, than play guitar and we have i'd say literally less competition not that we don't have any competition and we have some big competition but right not at all the ratio of online particularly online music retailers to the number of people who can actually be a customer Mm -hmm. is, uh, well, we came to the conclusion unworkable. Okay. Interesting. Let's, let's dive into music. Are you, are you from a musical family? I know your brother uh, was the Luthier at the store. Yes. Um, I remember seeing him in the videos and everything. Yes. Um, yeah, that just, yeah, it's very sad to see uh, that I sort of passed away. So sorry to hear that. Yeah, we uh, he left a huge hole in our entire, not just in our business and our family, but in our community. He was very beloved uh, by everybody. Um, so yeah, it, it, with deep, it, it was a, it was a, it was a very tough thing to lose him. He was a great human being too, besides um, the, the guitar thing. He was my only family connection to music. Um, okay. My father was a was an artist, a potter, painter, uh, art teacher. Okay. And uh, I remember being uh, amazed one time that he had an old harmonica and he pulled a harmonica out one time in my whole life <laughs> and played it and played it well. And I'd never heard him practice or anything like that. So that's yeah. the only thing besides the connection with my brother. And yeah, no, I grew up. Uh, I lived uh, uh, again. My my brother lived here in this in our community that we the, the St. Cloud area, uh, and I grew up in a little town west of here. And when I was as young as maybe all oh, eight, nine, ten, <clears throat> I would come and stay with my brother for the weekend, and then on Saturday we he'd take me to the music store that he managed at the time, and I would clean the shelves and I'd hang out and. Uh, and I got to know, interesting, I was just a kid back then. And then many of the local customers that came into the store were people that, you know, knew me when I was just a little kid, uh, cleaning out the, you know, the shelves at, uh, That's cool. at the music store. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> and as far as, so, so based on what you said about, you know, working for the man and, um, leaving a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, that, that's a, obviously a classic entrepreneur mindset. Um, so you, you essentially became unemployable, but what was the, I mean, 
where did that stuff come from? Because, you know, I'm, I don't ever remember the word entrepreneur coming up back when I was younger. I mean, and now, you know, you look at colleges and high schools and they have entrepreneurial classes. Like where, where did that shift, you know, what was other, other than the actual, like saying someone, I work for you or vice versa. Yes. Like where did that mindset shift come from? Well, it was a grad, it was a, it was an evolution over the period of maybe two or three years, I would say, while I was working. Okay. Uh, there were, uh, you know, what's funny. I just thought of this and I, I, I hadn't really remembered this that much. I remember being captivated by the infomercials that would be on late at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the guy who uh, I think later turned out. Uh, he's, well, let's just say he's not doing infomercials anymore. But yeah. he did the he did the infomercials of selling tiny little ads. That was his big thing. I made millions. I made millions placing tiny little ads. And I remember being just mesmerized by that whole concept. And even though the infomercial was as corny and as you know crazy as could be, I was glued to it thinking, can that really happen? Like, can a person literally Mm. just find, you know, newspapers to place ads in? And this is back in, oh, early nineties, probably maybe late eighties. I was very, very young. And then the real estate, there was, there was a real estate guy that did stuff too about wraparound mortgages and all this kind of stuff. And I just remember being so captivated. And I, I, I look back now and I can see it was just the, the freedom. Like I enjoy freedom more than I enjoy any other aspect of a, of a life, but certainly a working life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one day I was on a business trip. I was actually in Boston <laughs> at the airport and uh, had a, was waiting for my f- flight and I went into the bookstore and uh, I was looking through the books and I was like the business books. So I was looking through the business book section and I saw this one called the E-Myth, E-Myth. Yep, uh, why uh, most small business, uh, something about why most small businesses fail and or whatever, I, I can't remember the exact uh, subtitle of it. But it got my attention and I, uh, I bought the book and I read it, started reading it on the plane and it was fascinating. And he also had a formula that really um, resonated with me. And that formula was you, everybody has a, has a primary aim in life and it's not to work. Absolutely. And the work is to get you what your primary aim is, you know, and that might just be, that might be spending time with family. That might be traveling. That might be some sort of a hobby. And in a way it could also be um, work, but it certainly uh, can be supplemented by a business. And he treated the business entity um, very differently in his, in his book, as I, as I recall. And, uh, I think after I read that book, it was uh, no turning back. Mm. And then it was just, then it, then it was just the search for how do I do this? That's awesome. Um, I mean, not, not to put too, uh, go too far deep into the book, but 
Um, how does that? Have you read uh, Start with Why? Uh uh-uh. uh No, so, but, but 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 I'm just based on the title. I'm extremely interested because I just want to interject every uh, for the two different businesses we have on Mondays for one business and Tuesdays for the other business. We start at the very beginning of every meeting with what we call a why session. So I'm, I'm captivated. What tell me about this book that you just mentioned? It's, it basically goes through, I, uh, I, I don't know if it's Simon Sinek. I might be getting my books, uh, authors crossed, but start with why basically says, um, you know, you don't just be in business or do whatever your passion is for, um, the sake of doing it. You know, you have to have a reason to, um, know why you're doing things. So mm-hmm. it gives a good example of the, you know, Walmart where Sam, you know, treated his employees well. And he, he, he had a why of, you know, building a, a, a business that, that provided for the community. And then when he passed away, his family kind of lost their, you know, lost that. And it's, and I think it, it goes into Microsoft as well. You know, it, um, just the fact that, they they lost what they were doing as a company. You know, um, Apple is a almost a lifestyle brand. It's not a technology company. Whereas Microsoft is similar, and they they went from software to hardware, but they lost why they were doing it, and it kind of diluted their brand. Um, and it, it's just a, a really important um, message of you know you you have to figure out what your um, reason for doing things is before you actually figure out what the what the thing is yeah um very very interesting and um i i don't want to um dwell too much on this uh fact but something but an an example definitely has come up obviously you know knew me through the chapman connection and that's you you come through there um but I look at what's happening mm-hmm. and they have completely lost uh, their why. Um, and it's sad. Uh, mm. It's uh, even though I'm not connected uh, in any real way, other than staying kind of connected with the, with the folks a little bit, um, they, their why was, if you're going to say, why, why do this? Their why was people wanted to build guitars. People wanted to be part of building a guitar and they loved it. And that was what, that was what Rob like made his, that that's what started the whole spark of everything. Yeah. And cut out the, uh, the distributor. And in all fairness, that's, that, that was a, that was a, another, add on to how to get them okay but the but it but it wouldn't have mattered right honestly that would have been secondary okay to the success if they hadn't done the the basically the help me build this guitar Mm. uh kind of a thing and they just have they have not done that and um they can't really because now there's there's three big places to get Chapman's mm-hmm. and those places are just too clunky uh, for them to move at the speed of crowd 
Incredible. designing right, a guitar. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, personally, uh, I'll get on my soapbox. I, I, I don't really like Guitar Center because of the uh, nothing to do with the, the stuff. It's still a guitar store, but... Uh, and I could be misspeaking about current ownership, but I know it was it was bought as a company as a tax write-off. There was no by you know by the by the investment company above. There was no reason like they weren't building a community. They weren't building com- you know community value or anything. So I'm you know I just did with everything in general. I try and stay you know buying local as as I can. Mm-hmm. So I've always I've always supported local business, you know, uh, definitely local guitar shops. Um, but I try and do that across the board. But that that would be my complaint with con- just guitar center in general. It, it's not like I said, musicians work there, musicians sell the products. I mean, it's nothing to do with them. It's just the investment company that owns it. Um, yeah, it, it's but in the end, um, there is a. I don't know if it's if if I want to preface this with the word unfortunately, but um, the reality is, uh, and we've done a lot of polls on our Rift City Guitar website. We've kind of shifted to this news and polling and information um, thing. So when you go to riftcityguitar.com, it's it's not the it's not the e-commerce side. There's we still have the e-commerce side with very little product left, but that's that's still there at the moment. Um, but the riftcityguitar.com is now kind of a new site. And uh, what I've had the most fun with is doing these polls to see what people are saying. And unfortunately, so I did say it, uh, the, the very small portion of people are loyal like you anymore. Um, they've been all swept into the easy, you know, easy. Like I just, I go get my information over here and I make my purchases over here. They're no longer connected. Like they're and they're and at um, at a very fast pace, they're becoming less and less connected. So the way a product makes its way to the consumer physically is a completely different track than it makes it to the consumer conceptually. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be that's going to make it even tough, more tough for retailers. And I I could see that happening, and that's why toward the end when I was wrestling with you know do we keep investing, do we keep trying this that was the trend that I could see really going down the tracks like a train. Right. And I thought it's just not respond. It's not a responsible business decision to keep doing sure. this, even though I love it, you know, even though I, right. you know, and that's the key is you have to pivot. You can't, you, you, if it, you know, I think some people do make the mistake of being too involved in what they're doing and, and they will, try and save it to the point where they're already underwater and it won't, there's just no hope. Well, and, and I will just say this to everybody out there. Um, I have this theory that the electric guitar puts a spell on people. Mm-hmm. And what you said is true for any business that somebody's passionate about, but I would go as far as to say in the music industry, that intoxication is a million times more powerful than it is anywhere else. And you can see this. This is what I find, what I find fascinating. Even people who don't play guitar are just mesmerized by the guitar. 
right? Yeah, and absolutely. and it's you don't find that in anything else. You don't find the general public being like just enamored with people who can uh, wakeboard or skateboard or um, you know what? Throw it any other passion and ask yourself if the general public looks at that with uh, the same kind of uh, uh, enamor that they do. And, and that is your proof right there that there's something so much more powerful about the idea of playing guitar. And that I also have seen through this whole thing is that there are people who are enamored with the idea of playing guitar and there are then, and there are musicians and those two are not always the same people. So would you, I mean, based on that, would you say that the, would you say that the large, uh, uh, a large portion of people who actually buy instruments don't have a like I, I'm not talking about a hobby musician quote unquote with a with a, a working musician but just people who don't play and don't have any intention of putting the work in it requires to become a uh, a nice nice thing I say is um, a sentient musician see you, you know sentient musicians have gone past the physical part and now they're able to connect their emotion to the to the notes. Like, would would you say a, a a decent sized portion is people who just like it for, they they just want the look of the guitar and they don't want to put the the work in. Yes, and that's why Guitar Center is successful. Very good. That's uh, a very point poignant response. Yes. No. I mean that that's um, there's no question about that. As I you know even as we mm. see people um, you know commenting and answering, um, and just just the, the things that I saw as a music store. Um, uh, I just had a conversation with somebody last night about this and it was, it, it, it kind of illustrated the point. So I told you that my dad was an art teacher and one of the things uh, that he always taught was um, w- well, whenever somebody would say, I can't draw, he would say, that's ridiculous. Everybody can draw. Drawing is a mechanical act so uh and he would he would say he would take a picture uh, he would just draw he would just take a line and just isolate it you know and so you didn't know what it was it was just a line and he would say to somebody mimic that line just draw that line and anybody out there can try this Mm. if you just have a line with sort of a curve and you know something that's just not and you put two pieces of paper together and you isolate that and you draw that you'll be amazed how accurate you can draw mm-hmm. you know one small uh, article right so so he would prove what well, you can draw he said what people are what people can't do is they can't see yes they don't see so but then you also have um different types of art you have commercial art you have um and, and um so there's a very famous painter on here um, called uh, Terry Redlin. Uh, his paintings are very, very detailed. Um, there are other wildlife artists, uh, that's very common around here, who draw things to the point that you can't tell if it's a photograph or a drawing. 
well, that's a skill, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily you, you, you don't know what passion is behind it because you've just mimicked something in a different medium, essentially. So you've sure. shown that you have dexterity and you have, you know, all these things, but then you take, uh, you know, Van Gogh or the, you know, and, and, you know, some people without any art appreciation input would look at it and go, it's just a bunch of blah. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like, I can't really tell what that is. Or, um, actually that's not a hundred percent true. Some of those paintings people are just drawn to, yes. you know, that, that's real art to me. That's real art to me. When, when you can't even know, you don't know what it is, but you're just drawn to it. But right. anyway, got sidetracked there. So back to this thing. So with, with music, I was reading a forum and somebody was talking about, Oh, it was when the whole fake guitar things was out mm-hmm. there. And, um, somebody was kind of sticking up for the people that were playing, you know, super fast and the ones that were not faking it and whatever. And I saw somebody comment and say something really degrading about Kurt Cobain, um, in relationship to, you know, people who were you know, playing speed metal. And I thought, well, th- there's another perfect example of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't want to degrade anybody that loves speed metal or anything like that, but too much, of, most of it is just physical prowess. It can be. Yep. And there's, there's just, nothing that emotionally connects, you know, with that, not saying that just because it's speed metal or because it's fast playing that it's not artistic, Mm -hmm. but it's just like drawing, you know, if you just get good at mimicking things and repeating uh, lines and doing this kind of stuff, you could produce what I would call commercial art. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can make money off commercial art, but to me, it's a, it's not the same, you know? And so you take somebody like Kurt Cobain, who personally, I never, I, I, that wasn't my thing, but I can listen to that and say, this guy had a connection to the music that most people didn't have. and, And maybe he didn't even know really what it was, but you know, you take, uh, you know, Tom Waits is another thing, you know, somebody hear us, Tom, hear Tom Waits sing the first time. They're like, what is that? But a- anybody that can appreciate the theatrical artistic intention of, you know, what he's doing. Um, and, and the fact that he just says, I could really care less whether you like right. it or not. <laughs> you know, that's the best. Yes. So anyway, I got on a phone. No, that's fine. I mean, the same the same could be said for you know, quote unquote, physical musicians and uh, musicians that use electronics and and looping and you know and everything's in the DAW. And it again, it's there's always going to be people that do it just because they're copying other people. But mm-hmm. then there's going to be no matter what genre. You know, it, it doesn't matter if this, you know, metal musician thinks this electronic musician is garbage. You know, it, it doesn't matter because somebody in the audience is connecting with it on an emotional level. So whether they're pushing buttons or they're playing strings, 
it's all music. It's it's all an emotional, you know. And 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 there again, even if um somebody is just going through the motions of doing the physical prowess stuff, there's still someone in the audience that's going to connect with it, regardless of whether the the there's emotional tent behind it anyway. Yeah. So someone's going to get something out of it either way yeah i think this is a matter of um like um hue versus value when you're talking about you know uh colors that i think you can be moved by something or you can be impressed by music in particular you can be moved by music or you can just be flat out impressed by music and so they're two they're two different things but nonetheless both have different values you you might have somebody who's really moved by one thing and like listens to another music because they're just flat out impressed Mm -hmm. Um, i mean that's what youtube and instagram has really brought us is there's a lot of very impressive stuff out there um Mm -hmm. but you gotta there's a big pool of stuff to to wade through to hit the stuff that really moves you right that's my view for sure for sure so I, I wanted to touch on. So you, you um, you're still continuing with the guitars, uh, the Riff City guitar name on on the news site. Do you have a like a, a goal with that, or is it just because you've already done it and the new stuff is interesting? You know, this this could be a continuation of my uh, intoxication with the the guitar. You know, my own mm-hmm. uh, connection with it. Uh, from a business standpoint, I just really hate to waste uh, all that. Um, uh, brand uh, in uh, brand value that we built over the years, sure. uh, and we still have over seventy thousand Facebook followers and twenty thousand Instagram followers, and um, so we still have an audience. And so I'd say that I'm just trying different things to see if it resonates. In the end, uh, it's going to work if we are putting product out that is that people need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if not, it won't. So approaching it very much just from a standpoint of we're trying a bunch of different things now, watching what works. Uh, and, uh, not only from a consumer standpoint, I have still have lots of connections with pedal builders and, and, uh, you know, people in the industry. And so I am continually asking the customers, what do you want? And I'm continually asking the, the vendors, what, what, what do you want? And, uh, the, I can tell you that the vendors all say the same thing. Um, I want the, uh, uh, one person said, I want the hungry mouths. Another person said, I want eyeballs. Um, you know, they just want a, their product mm-hmm. to be in front of as many people as possible um, so that they can make those intrinsic connections. Uh, uh, and so I look at that and say, oh, I can be helpful with that. And then from the consumer standpoint, um, it's a little harder to, to tell, you don't ask them, uh, directly, but you can see their behavior and, um, people have a, people want to know about stuff as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one thing I can tell you is that, uh, speed to market, uh, with your message. Um, uh, people just, they don't want to wait. I want to know something's new. I want to know that it's there. Um, uh, if it's limited, that's even better. Um, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things. So, and people have been having the little uh, corny games that uh, I guess I shouldn't create my own website, but we put a lot of like corny little, uh, you know, memory games and word searches and all this kind of stuff on there. And, uh, and uh, people do seem to enjoy it. Yeah. 
I mean, and anything that that's outside of the normal scrolling through, you know, a, a social media site is great. Um, and and information is the new oil. So, you know, you, you might be hitting on something that that yeah could go somewhere. For we'll, sure. we'll, we'll 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 see. It in in a year it could be. I could look back and say, boy, I'm glad we stuck with that. And um, in a year, we could have just wrapped up and said, you know, there's again, it doesn't pay to put more of what there's a billion versions of uh, already. So that's our goal, too, is we, we have to find a way to bring something a little bit more unique. Um, and although people love YouTube videos, there's already too many of them like these you really have to have something special um, to make that work. And typically that's a personality, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not my, I wouldn't be good at that. Well, you say that, but I think that's part of why Rift City was successful. I mean, you definitely had the Chapman connection, but I think the fact that you came on and you, you know, you talked to the customers and you made videos and, and you were the personality of the store. I think that's, that is definitely a reason why it was one of the biggest out there. I mean, you, you look at Anderton's and you look at, uh, you know, Ola England just got voted the, the biggest guitar personality. I mean, people like connecting with somebody. You know, it's It doesn't matter if they're, quote unquote, like, you know, a, a professional uh, broadcaster that they like. They like connecting with someone who who they can relate to. Well, um, that's very that's nice to hear from a uh, outside standpoint. I think where I, where it was hard for me is that I knew along with, and I, by the way, that there was, that was, that was fun. That was a very fun part of, of, of doing that. But I'm not a gearhead and I'm not into like the stuff, the way that um, most of the consumers are. And so I could never really connect whatever personality um, might have come through with gear. And uh, so there was, there was times when I would go on and be the kind of the spokesperson for the store and just connect with people generally. um, And I would get done and I would say, but I really haven't accomplished it. You know what I mean? Why? There we go. There was the, the why was missing with why am I, why am I turning this camera on and putting it, Mm -hmm. you know, in front of my face. And, and um, so interesting. Yeah. And and, uh, just maybe, maybe I'm beating a dead horse a little bit, but it it does seem to me. So this, this podcast was based on the, um, the foundation of uh, Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans. I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, model. So basically he said, um, if you can get a thousand people to love what you do and be your evangelists and you can get those thousand people to pay you a hundred dollars a year, you know, and, and that for a band, that's a couple of shirts, maybe a vinyl album. It's not a huge number, but you've just made a six figure income. So with that mindset, um, it does seem to me that the, the guitar, the retail guitar business is, is really the is geared towards uh not geared towards professional musicians and serious musicians it's it's geared towards the hobbyist so 
if you want to be, let's say, um, taking the, the, the boutique pedal um, industry, like if you want to be comfortable, not, you know, not wildly successful, if you want to make a nice living, uh, you know, a luthier, for instance, you could quite easily get your serious um, professional musicians to pay you for a very, very good product and and working on that thousand true fans model you could make a comfortable living without even having to worry about the whole retail sector are you saying from a standpoint of physically fixing their instruments well not not necessarily physically fi- i mean it doesn't have to be fixing their instruments right. or um you know you could be a, a luthier that makes four thousand dollar instruments or a, a guitar pedal manufacturer that just caters to the professional circuit yeah um you know, and 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 if you if you, I know I know a manufacturer is gonna the overheads are gonna be way higher than a service, but um, if you're gearing it towards the the serious musicians who 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 aren't the gearheads who are quote unquote cork sniffers that are, oh it's it's gonna make me sound better. Well, no, because your tone is in your fingers. You know, so in in, in essence, the retail market doesn't cater to the to musicians at all because. Musicians know exactly how they make their sound, so they'll get one pedal or they'll get one guitar, and uh, and they're good. Yes, you know, look at look at um, Guthrie Govan. His rig is pretty simple. It's an amp, a Victory. Uh, I'm not sure what he's using right now. I think it's a V30 um, Victory amp, and his Charvel guitar, and he has a few effects running in, and he's one of the most amazing guitar players on the planet. He doesn't need to keep chasing tone. Correct. No, that, that very, very true. And yeah, you could not, it'd be very hard to make a living off of that minute number of people. Even with all the, um, even with all the hobbyist guitar, guitarists, um, I, I, the stats are a little bit all over the board, but the best I've been able to come up with is it's about 1% of the population that, that self-proclaims they play guitar. Uh-huh. So that's really small. If, of the popular, are you talking uh, of America? Just, just the U.S. Yeah, it was, I think it was probably U.S. statistics I was looking at. I, I would have to imagine that's got to be similar in other countries, mm-hmm. uh, but it's very, very small. And so, if you said, I, I mean, I'm not sure what the percentage of hobbyist or um, you know uh, serious musicians versus gear enthusiasts, um, you know, whatever percentage that is, pick a number. Take that right. and, and take 1% times that fraction. Mm. And, uh, you know, now this is what this is your universe of potential uh, buyers. Right. I have to say that I think, although it's going to change dramatically, I believe, in the next few years, uh, what, what businesses, businesses need to find a way to make, <laughs> businesses need to find a way to gain people's um, monetary uh, contribution in ways that they don't know they're doing it. And YouTube is the perfect example of this. If, if, if people had to, let, let's say influencers, short of the really big guys, Rob Scallon, that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. most YouTubers, if they went to a guitar company, pedal manufacturer, whatever, and said, I would like 
would you just, would you pay me $30 to do a video on your product? Most would say, uh, no, um, you know, but that manufacturer or the retailer in the chain, is going to pay that guy 30 bucks anyway, because he's going to do the video and he's going to make $30 off of advertising, uh, you know, and they're perfectly fine with that. Right. But they wouldn't, even if they had the numbers saying, well, last time I did this, I sold this many, you know, uh, pedals, the, you know, the affiliate, the whole affiliate marketing thing is very interesting. And we do some of that on the, on the Rift city website. And so we just started it and I'm just, I'm amazed at that whole concept of, mm-hmm. uh, of how it works. But y- it's that people don't know they're paying you uh, sort of a concept. Um, mm-hmm. And I, but I, like I said, I don't know where that's going to go because um, I think a consumer is a little, consumers are really wise about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if they like clicking on affiliate links. I mean, many do obviously, but um, so I think it's going to have to, I think like I'm going to be watching that regardless of whether I'm in the music business or not. I'm going to be watching that very closely because if nothing else, it's fascinating to me. Right. For sure. Um, so do you have any other plans of any other businesses outside of Rift city or just <laughs> so my, that whatever comes along or. So what, so I've had a trucking company I had, I started a, I tried, it didn't get very far, but I started a toy company. Uh, I've had um, a photo album company. Uh, I've had a lot of them that, you know, just didn't make it, um, mm. out of the, out of the shoot or, you know, into it. I, I just realized my, you know, I didn't have a passion or whatever it was, but my, um, my wife has kind of said to me, I think it's time now that we start concentrating on what's going to happen later on and, and we concentrate on the businesses that we have. Um, so who knows, I'm, I'm a pretty adventurous person. So if something came and smacked me in the face and said, here's an opportunity, I think I would have, I would be, um, I would be drawn to it for sure. Um, but I don't think I'm going to be looking for things like I had in the past. Okay. Um, I mean, and outside of, outside of just, you didn't want to work for somebody, um, you know, what, what else is your why for businesses in general. I'll go back to what I said earlier, freedom. Nothing's more important to me than freedom. Nothing. Um, that and, and owning a business gives you the ultimate freedom. And what's funny is it's people hear that, that aren't in it. And they say, Oh, the freedom to do what you want, the freedom to come and go as you please, the freedom to hire and fire, you know, people on your team, the freedom those are minute freedoms. The, 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 the freedom that when I wake up today that I can literally go any direction I want. And, Uh, and I'm the only one who is really going to stop myself. That's exciting. That is, um, exhilarating. That is, that's true happiness to me. Awesome. All right. Um, so just moving on a little bit, uh, you did mention that you had some, um, comments on anxiety and depression and that's one of the you know important things for my podcast because i you know long time sufferer and I, I really one of the things i want to do is help people um 
you know, with mindset and, and things like that. So could you, uh, yeah, just give us a background and talk to that. Yep. So I, I was a, um, I grew up, uh, in an environment that was, um, not, wasn't off the charts, uh, crazy, but had a lot of dysfunctionality, um, Mm -hmm. in it. Um, I was particularly dysfunctional already as a young person, had all kinds of things uh, going on. Um, later on had, um, you know, the, the, um, my chemical dependency and uh, alcoholism manifests itself at a very, very young age uh, to the point that um, I, I say the, the blister exploded at a very young age. And so uh, I have not used any chemicals or drank for, um, just about 34 years. Um, and so that happened when I was very, very young, but along with that comes a tremendous amount of the other mental, um, challenges, depression, anxiety. And I, I had, um, took antidepressants, uh, from when I was probably 16 until into my late thirties, I would say. And at some point uh, there was, I didn't like the side effects. Uh, mm-hmm. of them. It, it, it did the trick, but I wasn't crazy about the side effects. And this was, this was to combat depression. Mostly I'd never really had anxiety that I had recalled. Um, so I had depression. And at one point I just said, I really want to try to not do this with medication. Uh, I had tried it a few times before with terrible results, um, ending up going, you know, back to um, and switching, I think I only switched, I think I only switched once or twice, um, during that whole period of time, but I really wanted to do this. And at that time I, I dove into a lot of real deep spirituality stuff. And I I took the same path that many, many people take. And the path is to try to find a substitute for it. And the path is to, uh, try to control it. And, um, when you, for anybody else that's gone through a really deep, like spiritual search, you, you, you find that it's, uh, uh, I mean, read John of the cross, uh, you know, that, that, that it, it leads you, it doesn't lead you to the light for at first, you know, um, it definitely leads you to, uh, a very, very dark place as you, start to understand what's really going on. And you have all of these, um, you've got all these built in kind of guilt mechanisms and, um, personality, uh, expectations and things that as you discover the truth, which you should be happy to discover, they don't fit with your expectations. They don't fit with who you think you are. They don't. And all of a sudden you're going, Oh, and in the end, you're thinking, I did all this work and I find out that this spirituality thing I was searching for, that's not the answer either. But the, but the issue is that you weren't really looking for spirituality. You were just looking for a new identity that was called spirituality. Mm-hmm. And when you hit that, when you hit that point, your, your brain kind of opens up and says, wait a second. 
It has nothing to do with what I call myself. It has nothing to do with what I talk to people about. It has nothing else to do with anything at all. But waking up and saying, this is the reality. And along with that, naturally comes depression. Um, and when you personalize that, you only make it worse. So what I had to what I had to realize <clears throat> was that um, the depression was no different than any other illness, but I treated it a lot differently. Mm. I treated it too personally. Um, so I, uh, somebody, somebody told me about um, this cognitive behavioral um, mm. and I, I was dedicated, you know, I, I, I did the Dr. Burns book and, and filled out his forms and, you know, and it was really helpful. Um, and the, the, the depression is a lot like alcoholism. It tries to survive inside of you. And so it does things like when a good idea comes up for how you might actually combat it, there's a part of your brain that goes, yeah, no, you don't want to do that. No, that's, and that's why you get that, you know, sitting on the couch, don't want to get up that that's, that's intent. That's part of the diseases. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of depression's um, goal, right? Uh, you think about all the other like transmittable diseases or diseases that are perpetual, meaning they want to stay, you know, almost all diseases want to stay in your body, right? They're, they're genetically programmed to do that. Well, depression is an anxiety. They're no different. They have, they have a purpose regardless of who, where it comes from. It's obvious they want to stay. Mm. And so, uh, they have all these little, little hooks that they have. So when you, so when you realize that, well, this is like a cold, right? This is like a, this is like an infection. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you see it in it, you see it in a new light. So, I was able to get off of the medication, work in this, the cognitive behavioral thing. And about two years after that, I had the first bout of real anxiety that I'd ever had before. And it came in this really strange, like I had some very small crisis. Like I'm talking about, uh, I was working on a boat or I, I was in my boat and the battery went dead and I had to paddle to shore like a oh, thousand feet, well, maybe okay. a little longer than a thousand feet, right, right. but I panicked mm -hmm. and it was, it was the strangest feeling I'd ever had in my whole life. And that was the first time that it ever had happened. And since then it triggered and I've had it the whole time. And I still have it, you know, today where I just, it just shows up, you know, mm. and it shows up and it gets exacerbated by situations but it's not caused by situations. Mm. Um, so I just have to be very careful. So I just kept applying the same kind of thing. It's far more difficult with anxiety because the intensity of anxiety versus the depression I feel is more of a challenge um, to do that. But um, you, you can live with it. Um, the, the, the worst part is to say, 
well, I don't want this. I, I want this to go away. Well, that's a natural thing. You want that, but mm. it's just, it's there, you know? And right. um, if you go to counseling to try to get rid of it, um, you're, again, you have an expectation that's probably unattainable. Um, I had somebody once um, use the, I don't know if this is a Freud thing or um, it was an analogy I think I've heard before, but he, he said, when, when you, when you use any kind of a therapy or whatever, you have to look at it as you're in a dark room with a bunch of furniture you can bump into. Mm-hmm. And the therapy is to just turn the light on. So at least you can see the, what you're bumping into. Interesting. Um, and that again, changed the, the way, you know, I approached it and the, the, the spiritual thing um, and the awareness side of, of everything uh, taught me this, lesson is that you can even be happy when you're depressed and anxiety and have anxiety mm-hmm. you, you, because happiness, we confuse happiness with excitement and uh, pleasure. That's not true. Happiness is that wonderful, comfortable, just content feeling that it doesn't matter what the outside circumstances say. I'm still really feeling good right now. Excitement is when it's based on situations. And one of those excitements could be, hey, I just realized I'm not, ha- I'm not having an anxious day today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still more of an excitement or a, you know. Uh, so if you're aware of that, um, you, can be, you can be happy either way. You just have to kind of get below the layers of what's going on on the surface, right. Absolutely. you know, if you had a rash, right? Let's say you had a horrible rash, a horrible sunburn, blistering, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. You could still go do stuff, right? Sure. It's like irritating and it keeps reminding you that your arm is blistering and, and you know, people are looking at my arm cause it's all blistering, whatever. But does that mean you can't go to a concert or that you can't go hang out with people or that you can't go, you know, do what you have to do your job or or whatever. That was the other thing that I want to say that was remarkable to me. When the anxiety, when the the anxiety first came up at the very beginning, I had some very nasty bouts, like where Mm. it felt like I was incapable of doing things. Mm -hmm. But I look back and say, but I did things. Right. Like it was another one of those um, kind of cons that was the anxiety saying you're debilitated, you're paralyzed mm-hmm. You're, But if you look back, it's uncomfortable, but you can still do things while you're having an anxiety, you know, moment for sure. And when you look, when you look at it, that's a, that's, that's a cognitive behavioral thing. When you look at the reality, you go, you know what? I had that meeting with people and it wasn't comfortable, but mm. I said what I had to say. I got stuff accomplished, you know, nobody looked at me and said, what's wrong with you? Uh, so there, that was a long answer to a simple question. And it was, it was an extremely, uh, um, valuable, um, valuable answer. So I really, I really appreciate you sharing that. No problem. Um, so yeah, I mean, what, what significant negative experience have you overcome and what did it teach you? I've had a lot. When you're a chemical dependent alcoholic, um, you have loads of um, 
negative experiences that you prefer not to bring up again and talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I would say it'd be very hard for me to, to really give one example of that, but I would just go back to what I said before is that if you look at things in, if you look at things for what they really are, instead of what you think they are, are unfortunately sometimes what you want them to be. Because mm. uh, because another part of human nature is to, and it's a self-serving thing. We want to feel sorry for ourselves. And so too often when we try to get out of a problem that we had, you know, we're apologizing and we're doing all this kind of stuff. It's really to just save our own hide. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then that doesn't get you anywhere. Right. So, um, the, the one thing about the, um, that you learn when you're alcoholic in particular is there's a difference when you do make a mistake or when something happens, there's a difference between an apology and an amend, mm -hmm. right? Um, go fix it, right? Just w when something's wrong, if it's fixable, go fix it, do the right thing and move on and don't, it doesn't pay to feel guilty about it. It doesn't pay to beat yourself up. It doesn't pay to do any of those things. So I would say most of my experiences, bad experiences have been a result of something I've done. Mm -hmm. And the lesson is go fix it. Don't apologize. Right. Thank you. Um, and then we'll flip it around. What major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow, you know, the journey of, of entrepreneurship? Uh, I think that yearning for freedom was deep down inside. And I think that's a real, I think that's happiness. There's no, there's no doubt about it. That that's, that's a real form of happiness for me is freedom. And I think that, um, seeing glimpses of that and experiencing that um, were the driving force behind going further. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's another concept that I, I love to um, employ. Um, just go further. You know, uh, where, whatever you're doing, just go further. And going further doesn't mean get better. It just means just go further. You know, I'm, I'm walking down this, you ever been in the woods and you're walking down this path and you've never been there before. And you come to, there's a couple different paths you can take and you head mm -hmm. down one and your voice is always, or your head is always saying, I oh, maybe I should turn back. You know, maybe I should, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know where this is going to go or, uh, but the adventurous freedom loving, happy person, uh, is the one who you hope wins out and says, just go further. Just, mm -hmm. you're going to see something new. Um, right. and, uh, and that has to do with, with business relationships, all that stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, um, if people wanted to find out, you know, what you're up to today or get in touch with you about anything, um, you know, where can they find you? Um, I don't even know anymore. I mean, certainly the, um, I will always be, um, if, if the Rift city site is up, uh, if anybody sends anything through a service, um, message, uh, they could do that. Um, I don't really have a, 
I don't have a public thing. I had a podcast for a while called Throw the Boss Out, but I just don't have too much contact with that. Mm. Um, so I don't know that they would. I suppose they could message me on Facebook or something. Okay. Very good. So, uh, and then the last thing I like to do is is play a, uh, a, mu- a you know, some music by typically the artists I interview. But um, in this case, um, you know, we talked about, you know, your son's in a band. Um, and, uh, yeah, so if you could introduce the uh, the song so talk a bit about that. Um, yep. So, uh, like any proud father, I'm very happy, um, very proud of my son, um, I, uh, he was, I want to say probably only eight or nine. And we bought, we bought all three of our kids guitars for Christmas and the other two, uh, liked it, but didn't take to it. When we bought him his, he just took to it so quickly. And uh, I remember him teaching of teaching him just a few, you know, old classic rock and roll, um, parts. And that kid by the end of the second day could play them far better than I could. And so he just had that natural uh, drive and knack and I'm going to get this done. So, uh, so he's always played um, since he was young. And uh, then he got into the really nice group of guys, um, fun group of guys. uh, And they've been touring around and, and doing that. And uh, uh, I, I like, their genre is is one that I do sort of like, but it's not one I would turn to. But they have a few songs that I that I really love, and the one that I told you to play, this Vertigo, is probably their most recent popular song. Um, okay, and I love it because it has all those great elements of a great commercial, you know, a, a commercial song, and it's my son playing so. <laughs> and and what's the name of the band? Oh, uh, they're called Unturned. I'm sorry. Great. And they do. You can see they've got some. They've got a video, a couple of videos on YouTube. Um, and uh, uh, where did I send that link from? I'm not even that uh, up on this. I think it was a it was a Bandcamp band link. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So there's Bandcamp and Spotify and all this kind of stuff. Um, so uh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, th- it's been a really uh, great conversation. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. No problem. Um, so with that, I mean, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, stay in touch. I was just about to say the exact same thing. Merry Christmas, Simon. You as well. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Joe for a lot of really insightful information. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes because it really helps to get the word out. I think the information that the band's artists and other business people are sharing with me is extremely useful for the musicians community. Don't forget to check out the show notes from this and every other episode at the website at musiconyourownterms.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter so you can stay in the loop about upcoming episodes and other events happening with the podcast. Keep listening until the end as I included the extended discussion of Joe's breakfast and some other culinary rarities. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Unturned with Vertigo.
Okay. What did you eat for breakfast on Sunday? I had three eggs, toast, and the best blood sausage I've ever had in my life. Okay. As, as, as you would call it, black pudding. Yeah, which something I'm not I'm not familiar with. I'm I'm from the other end of England, so I that's not something I'm uh, familiar with or have tried, honestly. Well, it's it sounds terrible, and you have to be a real carnivore mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> to enjoy something called blood sausage. Right. Although my 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 mom did uh, always cook uh, steak and kidney, which people over here. St- feel a bit iffy about but you can order kidney and, and it is actual organ kidney organ oh yeah yeah cut up organ so yeah yeah there's a nice nice rich flavor to it uh the um the, most of the meat markets around here serve all kinds of crazy things mm. beef tongue um one of my favorite soups in the whole world is oxtail soup i love i grew up on oxtail soup yes so it's fabulous with barley, do you put barley in it? Uh, you got to have barley and rutabaga. Not sure. I I always um, just ate the canned soup that my my parents would buy, which was so good. you could buy canned oxtail soup in England. Yeah, I don't think Absolutely. I've ever seen that here. Um, it, it's not it's not um like you know can can I'm um, not Campbell's but the the British equivalent of uh, I forget who who makes it. So that's great. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. 